Hey, it's Dan Harmon from Harmontown. I want to tell you about an exciting new podcast coming to Feral Audio called Launch Left. Rain, Phoenix, and Moon Zappa are going to interview extraordinary minds, mavericks, and pioneers in their fields. This season, Launch Left is going to celebrate nonconformists like Michael Stipe, Shepard Ferry, Spike Jones, Mario Batali, and many others. And those guests are also going to spotlight their favorite left-of-center emerging artists. So listen and subscribe now at feralaudio.com slash left, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do it however you want, man. That's the nonconformist part. Hey, welcome to Twisting the Wind. Welcome to Twisting the Wind. Hey, hey, welcome to Twisting the Wind. How you doing? Hey, hey, welcome. Are you good there? Is that good? Is that, is that a good place? How you, you liking that okay? How is it? Is it working out for you? Hey, how's that working out for you? Is it, uh, do you, you like it? you like that car? you like that chair? Is it a good chair? Hey, hey, do you like that chair? Is it good? Yes, it is good. It is good. That is the motto of today. It is good. Paul beheld the rock to the Ephesians and said, Let it be that this is good. For now on, from to which you touch it, flowing will be blood of him and now for the covenant that may be everlasting until... Wishes become dreams, tears turn into dancing, and gifts of finest weed are bestowed on eagle's wings. That's it. That's what we're working with here today. Hi, I'm Johnny Pemberton, and this is Twisting the Wind. This is Twisting... (laughs) 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 That's what it is. Good morning. It's just in the wind. It's just twist in the wind. That's all it is. Yeah. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, bringing uh, your gifts of finest wheat. And I promise today, oh, your tears will turn into dancing. Um, we've got a real good one today. <coughs> I just coughed. We've got a real good one. A real hot load. Not a hot exit. A hot load. It's a it's a fire plug. It's gonna. I'm gonna drop this old, this old thick mortar shell into the the listening pipe, and pull the trigger, and it's gonna go thunk. <laughs> Wish I could hear myself do that in reverse. How do you think people thought about that a long time ago before there was a recording technology? Do you think anyone thought about the what some what something sounded like in reverse? I wonder if that was even. In anyone's mind, was that something that? God, I really wish I could find that out. Maybe, maybe I can. If anybody has an idea about that, the idea of the reversal of sound before the recording of sound, let me know. People have found some interesting ways to contact me so far. Yeah, it's not like they're breaking down my door, but you know what I mean. They're they're doing it. Um, yeah, this uh, we have a great guest today. Uh, he's a longtime buddy, uh, brother of one of my best friends in all of life, and 
will continue to be. Uh, so that's good. It's always nice to to reconnect, reconnoiter with someone who's involved in your life for a long time, right? How's that sound? I said that's like a long time. That's like sort of like coffee voice when you're you went out for a cigarette with Melissa. She quit. Melissa quit, but she's she needs to talk to you real quick. She needs to talk to you about what happened. Did you know what Kevin said the other day? Look, okay, I know you're in a relationship, but um, yeah. The fart is the unique, special sound that just says, forget about what I just said, okay? Forget about it. This is a great episode of Twisting the Wind. I'm going to keep saying that because it matters. You're going to keep listening no matter what. Uh, well, let me just say this. Let me get this out of the way. Thank you for listening. Gen- genuine thanks for listening. You don't have to be here, but you are right now. You're here. Part of you is here. You may not be listening. You may just be hearing it. Or there's also the reverse of that, you know. Sometimes I'll say, uh, well, someone will ask me, did you, did you listen to that? I'd be like, yeah, I listened to it, but I didn't hear it. You know what I mean? I didn't really hear it, man. Because sometimes you don't hear the music, you just listen to it. And, you know, when you hear it, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it now. Um, I'm going to continue this uh, tradition of playing a couple tracks, some snippets of songs because music is great and it makes uh, me happy and it should make you happy too because it is the sound of brains exploding. Um, yeah, I wish I could not say um, but I did, okay? If I was French, I'd go, uh, uh, palais tu uh, uh, mm, okay. So some music here. This is something, uh, this is an amazing, amazing song. I love it. I discovered it from this um, amazing blog called Office Naps. This guy collects some amazing 45s. I said amazing six times just now. Maybe I should have a better word for life and things that are good. Office Naps. Great music. This is Wilbert Harrison, Happy in Love. Hope you enjoyed the little snippet of this. And you can, this guy is prolific. He has all of his. 45s uh, online at his website and also on YouTube so you can listen to this stuff and God, ugh it kills me, it just, here it is It's so good. God, how much did your interest just get peaked? That's Wilbert Harrison, Happy in Love, off of Fury Records, which I think is a New Orleans label. As with all good things, it came from New Orleans. Um, said I'm again. Said, he said I'm again. Okay, uh, here's something now from a guy who I think is absolutely incredible. Lone Ranger. He's a He's Jamaican. And this is off of an album called Barnabas and Collinswood. There's a thing that happened in Jamaica. It's pretty interesting. Um, Jamaica, Jamaica musical history is. Uh, you could you could have an entire podcast just talking about the history of Jamaican music, and it's not even that old. I swear to God, not swear to God, because that, that's like swearing on a fucking phone book. Um, I swear to all things holy and universal that if if aliens visited the uh the planet 
they definitely stopped in Jamaica and buried some type of a crystal in the ground because there's too much prolific musical expansion and progression that happened there in such a short period of time for something I don't know it just seems otherworldly uh okay so so Jamaica's a British colony so uh, a lot of their uh, media and pop influence comes from England. And there's a show called Dark Shadows, which was remade recently into a movie, God knows why, uh, that was a very popular vampire soap opera. And this is Lone Ranger pretending to be, uh, pretending to be Barnabas Collins. So he's, he's, he's toasting as a vampire. Uh, there's so many layers of this that it just fucking kills me. It's too good. Okay, we're listening a little bit of Barney. Right? Here we go. I think it's going to work. Stupid. I turn. The musical sounds called the Barnabas Cuttings. Right now, no compliment, no challenge, I would say. So you got to live good in Cuttings, baby. Oh, whoa. So Ratting come in at the night, say around midnight, I him no come, fee broke no fight. Rad me say he come in at the night, say around midnight, I him no come, fee broke no fight. Can I beg you out the light? Lone Ranger, Barnabas Collins. Oh, it's the best. Yeah, he's talking about, here's some of the best, I guess he wouldn't call them rhymes, but he says, out, out the candle, turn your neck upon the right hand angle. He's talking about Biting the neck. But it's too good for me to explain. That's the thing. I can't just explain it. Just listen to it. It's a, it's a, it's a four-minute song that I could explain for an hour, and it wouldn't be as good me explaining it. Okay, one more real quick one here. This guy is Hugh Masekela. If you haven't heard Hugh Masekela before, you should. He's, ah, he's so good. South African. This is from an album that's, for some reason, it's kind of a... Harder to find, which it shouldn't be. I thought it would be all over YouTube, but unfortunately this is the one song I'm not going to be able to post for you to listen to on YouTube. Uh, I'll just record it off the LP and put it up there myself. This is called Mamani. It's from Hugh Masekela and the, and the Union of South Africa. <clears throat> from the album of that same name. I think this is like 1971, I think. Which I, I don't know if you know, but it's generally considered in my world to be the best year for music in the history of the world. Uh, recorded music, that is. This is a real... This is the kind of thing I could see P.T. Anderson using for a montage sequence if he had... Uh, he should. He better. Or maybe he'll just get John Bryan to rewrite it for him. And, uh... Okay, let's not, let's not talk about that. Here we go. Mama Nee. Come on, computer. Just play the... So what I'm going to do, though, I'm going to move it forward to the great singing part, okay? Lord, forgive me for doing this, but I can't play too much of the song, otherwise we'll get destroyed by the uh, music lawyers. Here we go. My babo, mama ni, mama ni, umelela. My babo, mama ni, mama ni, umelela. Oh my God, that's so good. 
that song is like you can listen to it over and over and over and over again it's just like some sort of there's some sort of harmony happening there that is like this frequency that is basically if if pudding could uh could live in the air and blast you in the face and make you I don't know. I think they they modeled Prozac or some sort of thing off of the uh, the the frequencies inside the voices of of his uh, group. Ugh. Kill my dad. Okay, so all those songs I just played, they're all available to be purchased on Amazon either individually or as part of albums. Which you should, you know, you can't just you can't just get the song, get the album. If that's that album is amazing, and I think that uh, you can probably get that Wilbert Harrison song on a compilation, and you can definitely get Barnabas Collins, Barnabas and Collins Wood from Lone Ranger. Buy that stuff through our Amazon site and help support Feral Audio. Okay. Look, there's no, not going to be any commercial in this episode, but please, please donate. Help me help uh, the whole the whole experiment here, this whole collective. Okay, you don't you can just a little bit, a little touch, a little touch will do. Just a little little old whip snap of cash infusion, cash injection, please. Okay, please. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. Okay, it's time to hit the phones. Hit the phone. We will be with you shortly. This call may be monitored or recorded for quality assurance. Hello. Hello. Hey, how are you doing there? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? Oh, real good, real good. I'm just looking here and trying to figure out where, uh, if this is a house or if this is like a warehouse, you know? Is that what y'all are? It's a storage facility. All right. So it's like a combination of the two, huh? Uh, we have an on-site manager, if that's okay. what you're asking. Oh, really? So, and, he, so uh, he lives there? It is. It's a um, the manager does. That's pretty convenient. That's good. Yeah. And we ha- it's gated. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes a code to get in and get out. Okay. And we have cameras. Oh, you do? How many? Um, we have one, two, three, four. And wh- where are they pointed exactly? Just so I know. Just if I was curious. Cameras. What's that? Uh, it... it we have 16 cameras, and it goes throughout the lot and our climate control. Hmm. Now, they're not pointed inside the units, are they? No, huh? we can't see inside your units. Okay, so, no. if I, so if I go in there, I can pretty much do whatever I want. I can just dance around, and I won't be watched by anybody? Are you uh, looking at moving in one, or what? No, no. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. I'll just... <laughs> How dare you say that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking about, you know, going in there. You and can't, You can't live there, and you can't store any uh, illegal merchandise. Right, okay. But, you know, sometimes, <laughs> well, let's say I have something that maybe somebody wants. Like, I got a friend, Daryl, and he he's always asking about, asking after my things. You know, saying, hey, where'd you get that? Or how, how much is that worth? If you, Let's say you were to sell it. 
And I'm like, well, let's say I wasn't to sell it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, he's a yeah. good guy. He's a good guy. But I think I just got to get some stuff out under out of out of those prying eyes. And that's a uh, that's the thing. Cause he he well, has a way of seeing things that aren't, I didn't intend for him to see. You know what I mean? Like a kid on oh, kid I on. See. Is this Christmas? like a roommate you're talking about? He he, he, yeah, he has qualified as that at, at times, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And I, well, now, uh, your unit is your own private property once okay. you're in it. Really? So it's we private? We don't have a key to it. It's like an independent country. We don't have a key to, yeah. We don't have a key to it. We want, don't want a key to it. It's uh, After you've rented it, it's your... Your complete liability. So I could do uh, science experiments and such in there. No, you can't do that either. I can't do that. Because that, no. Oh, why not? Because okay. that would well, because uh, science experiments has tendency at some point in time to explode. Oh, they so do. You'd be damaging, and you'd be damaging your unit plus others around you. What if I was doing real simple science experiments, like, like uh, what happens when you mix color yellow and blue? Ah, uh, well, like, I guess that as long as it's not going to explode, oh you're no, good. Uh, you you must have had a bad experience with science, thinking everything's exploding <laughs> all the time. As far as I know, science well, is not. Well, you never did. You you would be well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised I would, at I, what we get. Really? What? So what's the most outlandish thing you got in there? Oh, um, uh, we've had a couple of times. It's not very often, but mm -hmm. there's been times that we've had um, people that want to store drugs. And that oh yeah, well that's that's from TV. You can't can't blame them. There's this TV yeah. show Breaking Bad, and they do and that kind of stuff. And, or you know, that, or Storage Wars. You know, Storage Wars. <laughs> I tell you what, that's that shows it. It needs to stop. I've had enough of that. <laughs> that's that's the most boring so, one ever was. What size are you looking for, sir? Well, I'm trying to think here because I, I I need something large, something I could back a car up into and hide the car in there if need be. Is that impossible? Possible you're thing. You're looking at a, probably a ten by twenty. Is probably yeah. what you're looking. For. That's how big a car is. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, you don't need a 10 by 20. Right. You're well, going to store a car in it. I've got an old buddy by the name of Dr. Paul Johnson. He just actually uh, became a doctor quite recently, and he uh, he's uh, he's real, real smart. Knows all about neural, about the brain networks and stuff. Uh-huh. And he does these experiments where he's finding out the reason... The body is desiring things for such like a, as an addiction purpose. He knows about mm -hmm. that, and so he. So this is like when I'm talking about experiments. I'm talking about the opposite of drugs. You know, like what, what, how do we get people to have stop having problems with needing to do them all the time? You know, maybe just like yeah. doing like once a month or never, not at all. Well, Obviously, that's the no, best. In all, in all honesty, right. as long as it's nothing explosive that's going to damage your unit or others around you. Right. And there's no illegal activity going on in the unit, and you're yeah. not living there. Yeah, I'm not. fine. Well, what times of the day can I go there? You, uh, the gate hours are from 7 in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. Right. Seven days a week. That's pretty good. Okay, let's, let's say like I was to fall asleep in a lawn chair. 
Because I'm like, oh, I'm packing, I'm packing, oh, I'm tired, I didn't take a nap. And next thing I know, I wake up, and it's like, the next day, does that count well, as living there? Oh. Uh, well, no, but if we caught you sleep in your unit, I'm sure that there would be some kind of reprimand. Really? Like, well, they would, like, slap my wrist, or they would, like, make, they'd put yeah, a rat... because you're not... They don't want anyone back there after 9 o'clock because right. the gate automatically locks cool. at 9. So It automatically opens at 7. Would like a punishment be like they would take a rat and put it in there and make them run around in my unit? Oh, yeah, they probably would. They would do that? <laughs> I don't want no, that. I don't want, no, I don't want no rat running around there. No, we have, we have mouse and rat packs in there for that. Okay, so I don't got to worry about rats no. eating up all my, my no. precious chemicals and such, my experiments? No, you gotta just make sure we have a rat pack in there and you'll be fine. A rat pack. That's, you know, you know what the rat pack is, right? Rat pack it's is... a little pack. No, that's It's a little that. package of stuff that kills rats. I'll tell you what it really is. It's that, that group of singers from Vegas. Uh, Frank Sinatra, Sam Davis, the other guy, <laughs> Dean Martin. That's the rat that's pack. That's called the rat pack. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's the rat pack. <laughs> that sounds like a heck of a deal. Well, if, so you tell me every unit comes with a bunch of old Vegas singers? I'll, I'll, I'll take that for sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll storage hey, war that. Yeah, if, if that's going to promote business, you betcha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, I just popped that in there and get a, get a singing oh, I on. I know, and I just went for it. How's that? It's okay. I, I appreciate it. You know, you gotta got to run where you tell, call where you do, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's run, it. Run where you call, tell where no. you do, step into it, and hot tub. Uh, oh, here's a quick question. Now, what is quick. your name? My name's Kevin. What is your name? Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. And how soon would you need that, Kevin? Well, that's a good question. I, that's kind of dependent upon my buddy here. My buddy Paul, he's helping me out to get this operation up and running and to try to just shield it from Daryl's eyes. So we're going to have to have a, I'm about to give him a call and sort of update him from what I told you. We we're trying, trying to do a conference call, but just didn't think it was going to work out. So I'm going to give him the lowdown. He's, you know, he's all scientific minded and stuff, so he... You got to break it down okay, real. Do you want a prize, Mr. Kevin? I want do you a, want a prize? A prize? On a, twi- a, a prize for a 10 by 20? Oh, yeah, I'll take a prize, yeah. Okay, it's 115 a month. Oh, that's not bad. Climate controlled, rat pack infused, no. No, on it's site. Not, that's, not, that's not climate control. Oh, it no, isn't. You want climate control. Yeah. If you want climate control, that's one seventy a month. Okay. Well, you know, I don't know if we'll be needing it because we'll have like all of our operational hoods and such to suck to suck out the the um the vapors and all these movement movement devices and little types of uh little types of uh hourglasses, but they're made of water, like drip drip drip. Count the count the time. Now that mm-hmm. on, that that on site manager. Does he does he like to hang out, or is he uh, he's a, he's him was he's one of them hermit types? Oh no, he's out and about. Mm. Yeah, they check the property every night. Every, uh, there's someone here checking the property at all times. So if I'm baking bread in there, if I'm baking like non-explosive, now they're gonna bre- check you out. Yeah, they'll check you out. But is, so I'm I'm ba- if I'm baking some non-explosive bread, is he gonna be like, give me a piece of that bread? And I'm be like, well, sir. I'm baking a certain amount of bread here. I don't disrespect to you, but 
Um, and you know, yeah, cause, he, he might ask for a bite. He might ask Actually, for a bite. You need to. You need to bake a coconut cream pie. He'd probably like that better. Okay, so if I get him, <laughs> if I start him off with a coconut cream pie, well, first yeah, day of rental, you're good. Okay, you're good. he's good. But I, you know, uh-huh. give him a coconut cream pie. They take a mile. Is what I was grown up to tell. Oh, is that right? Yeah, something well, like that. Good homemade coconut cream pies are hard to come by. They are hard. Uh, he has a so let's say I go I go I uh, cook him up one of them CC pies. Does he gonna let me do a bathroom in that that area there? Because you know sometimes you're out there on the on the side. You gotta go. You gotta yeah, go. You gotta um, go. Well, uh, you're probably gonna have to come up to the office and go to the bathroom. Oh, okay. So or you got you get arrested for indecent exposure. Oh, really? Well, you you so you're. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what those words mean. So you're gonna have to tell me what that means. Oh goodness! Got no clue, you, none you, whatsoever. You, you got a hold of a real one today, didn't you? I did. I did. I got a live wire here. <laughs> live wire. An old crackle count. Oh goodness. Well, um, I'm gonna. Hey, okay, Kevin. Well, how you don't know how soon you'll need it. No, I gotta consult with I Paul can Johnson. Tell you right now. Okay, well, our climate control, we have one, and our non-climate control in the 10 by 20, we only have two, so. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and get on, get Paul on the horn here, and he's going to break it down, science like and whatnot. We're going to talk about neural networks, and I'm probably going to talk okay, to him well, let about... Me give you my, let me give you our hours. Okay. Uh, the office hours are Monday through Friday, 9 to 5.30, 1 to 2 for lunch. Saturday, 9 to 3, no lunch. Sunday, we're closed. What time is lunch? Uh, 1 to 2 during the week. Okay? Yeah, that sounds like a good... So I can come by and have lunch any day? Exactly. Okay. Except for Saturday. Okay. Well, Saturday. That for sure, yeah. Lunch on Saturday. I'll be coming down there having... <laughs> And remember, too, that uh, the office hours and gate hours are different. Okay, office hours, gate hours are different. Got it. Okay, I wrote that all down. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna I'm gonna get Paul here on the horn. We're gonna he's gonna tell me about uh, neuroscience and stuff, and then I'll report okay, back you to you. Phone number, Kevin. Do I have his? Yeah. Do now I got? You have a phone number. Well, I just called you, didn't I? Well, yeah. But yeah. I don't have it. Oh, you don't have my <laughs> phone number? No, I don't. I got your phone number. Yeah, you sure do, because you called me. Yeah, that's, you know, I've had people ask me that before, and it didn't make any sense. So I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Well, no, actually, you don't have to give it to me, but since we don't have that many available. Right. Well, you know what? If I hadn't heard from you, I was going to call you before we ran our last one. I'm telling you right now, this is a this is a long game, you know. I'm kind of like not really looking to get in there anytime soon. So I'm sure uh, when when it when it calls, nature will provide. Well, okay, that works for me. If it works for you, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, okay, doke. Thank you. Take take okay. it now. Dip it in. All righty. Okay. Bye bye. Doo Bye bye. Oh yeah. Paul Johnson, Doctor Paul Johnson. Do you have a middle name? 
Martin. Dr. Paul Martin Johnson of Rochester, yeah. Minnesota. That's right. And you are currently uh, you're currently at the Scripps Institute. What do you what do you call? What's it actually called? The Scripps Research Institute. Scripps Research Institute. S R I. PPS. Oh, ooh, PPS. The Scripps Research Institute PPS. And you've been you've been down there for a while. This is in West Palm Beach, Florida, right? Yep. A little bit north of there. Yeah. Right. It's called Jupiter. Jupiter, yeah, I think I recall that from my Florida State days, and uh, uh, yes. yeah, you and I know each other from growing up together in Rochester, and your brother, yeah. my best friend Phil Johnson, who is somewhat off the grid in terms of uh, things in the internet goes. So, <laughs> so I got to uh, see 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 you from a very young boy, Paul, as when I was a young boy myself. So, am I right? Absolutely, mm-hmm. it was fun. You and Philip were uh, yeah. two peas in a pod. Still are. Just the pod is a very Absolutely. long, long pod. It's, it's connected by an astral cord. So. <laughs> now you, um, and you've come a long way. You, uh, you went to where did you go to undergraduate school? Uh, I went to the University of Minnesota. Right, good old U of M. And yep. then you went to graduate school right after that. Yep. And where was that? Yeah. That that's here, uh, the the Scripps Research Institute. So, what were you studying as an undergrad? What was I? Yeah, what were you studying? Oh, I uh, I actually did quite a bit of. uh, Well, my majors were neuroscience, and then I did a second major, um, genetic cell biology and development. Jesus. Um, And most, but most of the research that I did was. like uh, neurochemistry, um, I guess, electrophysiology and behavior, and then I also did cancer biology during the summer. This is all undergrad? Yeah, that was Jeez, undergrad. that's so much. I can't believe how much more that is than I did in school. I feel like my, <laughs> de- my degree is simply a piece of paper that proves that I know certain people who I went to school with because, yeah, it means nothing. Wow. Genetic I, I cell development. What you said, Say that again? Oh no! I said I think that's what it is for, Most for scientists as well. Really? You feel like you feel like that? You didn't think you learned all that stuff you just mentioned in, as an undergrad? Oh no! I absolutely did. Okay. You know, you learn a lot, but yeah. You know, oh, the I uncertainty th- of our futures is right. And so, so what? So what would you say that the primary thing is that you studied as an undergrad that led you to where you are now? Like, what? What's very specific field? Um. Well. Actually, it began before undergrad. I think in high school I got interested in it. In science? Um, in neuroscience. Neuroscience. Yeah. And what what yeah. makes... So neuroscience, can you like sum that up for... I mean, it's. I'm sure it's what it sounds, yeah. but can you just sum it up for me? Yeah, it's, it's a really broad field, but it's anybody who takes a scientific approach to understanding the brain or nervous system, nervous system function. Got so. it. And that's a, that's a field, of, from what I know... The um, as much as we know about the human body, we know the least about the brain and its operations. Am I right? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. It's still kind of the wild west out there, isn't it? Very much so. Isn't it yeah. true that there are a lot of things that we know how to do stuff with the brain, but we kind of don't know why it works? Like we when when you pour uh, when you pour banana puree over the cerebral cortex, it does this thing. We don't know why, but it works. <laughs> There's maybe, yeah. maybe not banana puree, but I mean, aren't there things where it's sort of 
there's that sort of uh yeah so okay. for example uh some people might be familiar with deep brain stimulation which Ooh, they yeah. use in parkinson's patients and so there was there's been a long-standing hypothesis that this is working by um activating certain cells in a specific area mm-hmm. and that was a common idea for years and years and just recently um that was shown not to be the case um, but there are several instances like that, like you're suggesting, where we know something works, but we don't know uh, all the finer details, which are very important. So you got into neuroscience, and then yeah. and then you went on to uh, grad school at Scripps. Yeah. And you still were still in neuroscience at that point. I'm sorry. You still stu- were studying neuroscience at that point, right? Yep. So what does that mean if you're? I don't. What does it mean to be a graduate student in the field of science? Like I don't, like I know what it means if I was like studying creative writing or something. But like, what are you, what are you doing? Well, um, I, I mean, it differs from program to program. But um, for most PhD programs, the whole goal is to assume that you're um, that you have some background coming out of your undergraduate studies and mm-hmm. the basic sciences. And then they just try and get get you up to date on everything that's current, anything that you might have missed in undergrad. So you spend usually between one and two years taking coursework um, to fill those gaps, as well as um, going into labs and basically learning the process of of doing science. And so in most instances, you would have done that in undergrad. So you're learning just a lot of, there's just an immense amount of knowledge you have to learn. Yeah, and I think more than anything, it's it's being able to uh, formulate, I guess, a question and be able to address it in a way that's going to yield a great amount of data that's good, whether it's what you expect or whether you don't expect it, Um, but be able to address a really important question. I so, think that's... Right. So, the, so they're teaching you to go from not knowing what you don't know to n- knowing what you don't know and trying to find out what it is that you don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so how, how many years of graduate uh, study did you have? Um, I just finished uh, my PhD here, and it, it took about five years. PhD. So do all graduate schools culminate in a PhD? Or is that just your um, specific program? How does that work? Most are doctors of philosophy, but there are other programs like clinical psychology that also right. award a different type of doctorate. There are PsyDs. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, if you know, somebody says they're a scientist, they, they generally have a Ph.D. Or an, or an M.D. Ph.D. Dr. Johnson. So you are a doctor in neuroscience. That's your... That's your uh that's what people. That's what it says on your little clip tag that goes on your lab coat, right? Yes. Doctor Johnson, neuroscience. So, what's the what's like the thing that you've been uh, investigating? I, I uh, you sent me an email. We we're trying to arrange this whole this whole phone call. You said something that was so exciting to me. You said, uh, "Oh, I don't know if I can do it on Thursday. I have a, a long experiment I'm working on." And it's so funny <laughs> to hear that because I don't think I've heard those words come out of someone's mouth and actually mean an experiment and not like seeing if they can jump over a car or how many hits of acid they can take on a Monday or something like you actually are actually, well, actually doing an experiment. 
I combined those two okay. activities. <laughs> Survived. Right. No, it, it uh, yeah, the, the, this, this experiment was uh, sort of helping somebody um, do something that I'd figured out, uh, a new method for uh, basically looking at uh, how, how genes are regulated in very specific types of cells in different areas of the brain. Can so, you explain that in, in more detail, or would I not even understand it at all? Yeah, so um, uh, I, I guess I'll take a step back and just say that, that our our lab, uh, Dr. Paul Kenny's lab, mm-hmm. uh, the, the primary focus is understanding the cellular, molecular systems level basis of behavior, and in particular, mm. what goes wrong when um, someone becomes addicted. Right. Okay, so you and, uh, you specifically study the science, the brain chemistry of addiction. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. And so the, the the first portion of my thesis um, that that we worked on is um, we it basically started out as a uh, a throwaway experiment. It was sort of done on a whim. We we just wanted to see. We didn't think it would work, but the the, the premise of it was do. Uh, obese animals have similar neural adaptations as addicts. So when an animal becomes obese, does it impact the brain in a similar way as a, an animal that, that uses tons of heroin or cocaine? Man, that's so, so... Well, what kind of animals become obese? Can any animal become obese, or is pretty much just mammals, or what? Well, just like humans, there's a, a bit of a Gaussian distribution. So you can take Ooh, 100... Wow. Expose them to a same a similar environment, and you're going to see variance. You'll see a bell curve. You just said Gaussian distribution. Yeah. What does which that is mean? Basically, just the bell curve. You oh. know, you, if they all start out at the same weight, and you feed them all the same diet, they're exposed to the same environment. You're mm-hmm. going to see, you know, some on the lower side, some on uh, the higher side of a median value. But oh. yeah, you can if you if you expose them to that environment long enough, they'll become obese. And in our instance, we actually, we, the, a lot of the, the, the tools that uh, scientists use traditionally to, to, to um, I guess, control for what they're feeding an animal, to mm-hmm. make sure they know what they're giving them, say like a high-fat diet or a high-sugar diet, they don't, uh, they don't create um, as good of a model of obesity as actually the stuff we eat. So our model, for our model, I actually... You know, we would go to the store and buy stuff. Oh, man. Like cheesecake and bacon, <laughs> uh, frosting. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. So, you, so you're going to the store with your uh, expense account, your lab expense yeah. account, buying uh, buying crap food. Yeah. Wow. And you get sort of a crazy look from the people, you know, checking you out at the counter. Um, but, uh, yeah, my boss actually at one point got a call from the accounting department saying that one of his grad <laughs> students was stealing or using lab funds to pay for his, his meals. That's and hilarious. I do explain to him that, no, this is actually an experiment in lab. That's cool. So, so yeah, we, we basically used that in conjunction with previously established, um, basically, um, hallmark or models, science, or neurobiological and behavioral models that have been used to characterize the hallmark features of addiction. And so um, over a period of years, we, we went through all of this and we found that 
for the most part, there's there's pretty striking similarity between compulsive uh, heroin and cocaine using rats as as well as obese rats. So wow. um, it, it's it's very similar. Um, that's not to say that anybody who's overweight or obese is addicted to food, um, but when you put them in a very extreme environment where you know that this would recapitulate the person that's got a BMI, you know, of like 45, who, mm-hmm. you know, they're bordering on being, uh, eaten into their home. Yeah. But, uh, eaten into their so, home. So that, that means they can't leave, right? Cause they're so big. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that was the, the first portion of my thesis. And, and this, this new portion is, is, is basically trying to develop more methodologies that can be used both in addiction models for future obesity studies as well as drug uh, taking studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition, it'll hopefully be valuable for people in other fields of the neurosciences. So the basic idea is that um, you know if you were to take it, take a or visualize a brain, you know mm-hmm. it looks like a big foldy blob of pretty much nothing, um, but within there, there's actually these very um, unique architectures within different parts of the brain. Is that, and is so that the many, folds, you mean? Like the folds of the brain, or is there something more? Yeah, so not only the folds, but when you actually take a microscope and you, mm-hmm. you look, uh, when you magnify sections of uh, those folds or what's in between, right. you, you find that there are certain cell populations that, that look and behave alike, others that don't. And, and actually, in some cases where uh, it's all this sort of the same tissue, you would the cells all look alike. They actually behave differently. So this has been a problem for for neuroscientists. And as you indicated in the beginning, neuroscience is sort of uh, we got sort of a delayed start. Really, and part of that has to do with um, the methods that it takes to be able to examine cells and in, uh, in humans and and animal models because they're, they're so sensitive, you know, right. they're inaccessible. You can't, you know, go in there and play around with them too much and expect them to right. survive. So because so. the brain is the most inaccessible organ, is that what it is? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, you can't, and you, can't, you can't tinker with it so much. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, the ethical issues, especially when it comes to humans, it's, right. it's very, uh, very difficult. Um, so, uh, the basic one of the I, I guess more um, recent trends is to be able to come up with ways to be able to understand if you if you have cells that look alike that are in the same region, how do you tell which is which, and how can you um, how can you tell what's going on with just those cells? So let's say they're important to a specific behavior like right. like vision um, in. In recent years, they've come up with um, basically these light-based channels that were discovered in algae called channel rhodopsin. It's, it's a field called, called optogenetics, mm-hmm. where they can actually use light to turn on brain cells using these, these, uh, these channels that were found in the algae. And so in this way, you can, you can um, specifically target certain types of cells that, like I said, they might look like other cells that are bordering them, but they might have a different function. So it's like basically like it's like putting on those glasses and they live where 
everything they look all when they they look everything looks the same when you look at it normally like through a microscope but when you shine this light on it it the the cells betray their true nature that's a great way of putting it God. exactly <laughs> do, so you, do, you guys have an, do you guys have an, an analogy specialist at the lab is that a job we don't that wouldn't be a great uh, job though work work I one day a week just come in and uh, come up with analogies for different things that's that's actually very important. I I will uh, <laughs> I'll send your CV along to the higher ups. I'll do some freelance, sure. free, freelance analogizing if it's needed. <laughs> it's not easy to do. So, right. Kudos to you. Okay. Well, well, I'll keep thinking. Well, so you got these cells. You, sh- you shine the light on, right? Okay. To, to differentiate them. Yep. So, and. One of the one of the ways that you can specifically uh, turn on certain cells as opposed to others is, is some make certain or some turn on certain genes and some don't. So they look alike; they're in the same spot, but some turn on one gene, uh, but the other cell types might turn on a different one. Mm-hmm. So you can use that difference to be able to make this protein uh, that 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 allows you to turn the cell on and off this this light gated receptor. So. Y- um, you're talking make about them one cell or the other. So you're talking about making a protein that basically allows you, in some, some sense, to control s- different types of cells. Exactly. So it's in a way, it's like a, it's like um, like a drug or some sort of a, it's like a control mechanism, a, a neural control mechanism, huh? Absolutely. And it's but it's super specific. Is that the idea? Yes. So the idea so, I guess, is the long-term goal. Then you create something that basically turns off those addiction uh, cells? Yes. And and also to be able to explore the basic biology of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, in my case, the project that I was doing is, is sort of taking that idea that you want to be able to examine specific cells only. I did sort of the reverse. I, I used, um, I took a protein that's um, found in fireflies. Uh, oh, cruciferates, cool. which makes them glow, and I put that into cells, very specific cells, and so I was able to uh, control how much of this protein is made by linking it to what's called a transcription factor binding site. So what that is is simply a, a protein in the cell. Um, the way that they regulate which genes are turned on and off or which genes are made is they, they bind to these very specific sites. And that regulates mRNA uh, expression, subsequent translation into protein. Wow. So so you can use that very specific site that these proteins bind to, and you can use that to make your protein. So I was able to examine in live animals how uh, gene expression, we call it, uh, is changing over time in animals that are taking cocaine. Holy shit. So, <laughs> so are you giving animals actual cocaine? Uh, no, they're giving it to themselves. Oh, because they're, so, gi- cause they're giving themselves uh, what dopamine. Is that what it is? Or how does that work? Yeah, but they're actually self-administering the cocaine. So really? um, they can actually press a lever to deliver uh, the cocaine, which, as you indicated, <laughs> stimulates dopamine release. So wait, so, so these rats are, uh, they're getting coke, like how are they getting cocaine? Are they eating it? Uh, no, it's, you, you can actually do a, a relatively uh, 
short surgery where you implant uh, a catheter into wow. the jugular vein. And so you can hook that up to a, a hose that, uh, or a, another small piece of tubing that's hooked up to a syringe full of uh, cocaine. So they're mainlining cocaine. Oh, they're, yep. they're, they're shooting it, shooting, uh, shooting coke. Yep. <laughs> These rats and are. So then you just you put them in a Skinner box, and uh, that's just a box that has uh, levers or, or buttons or wheels in there mm -hmm. that the animal can quickly learn to press in order wow. to deliver the drug. A Skinner so. box. Is that named after some doctor something Skinner? Yes, Skinner. Skinner yep, box. Exactly. Oh, cool. I'm looking at I just I lose the internet and I looked it up. Interesting. <laughs> so that means that your lab has a bunch of cocaine. How, how do you, I mean, I understand the idea of you get, med, you get medical marijuana, that's available. There's always things that are available, but cocaine seems like something that I can't imagine. So, so there's some company out there that's manufacturing cocaine. Yeah. And it's a pharmaceutical yep. company? So there are uh, companies that make chemicals that, that will make cocaine and they'll purify it to a very high level jesus probably better than the, than the colombians can do <laughs> i'm sure uh, and, but but you can also get it from the national institute um, on drug abuse which is okay. at the nih so they right. make it themselves as well and then they send it to us interesting i i read something uh, just recently an article by michael pollan who's a uh, is like a garden writer and everything and he was talking about how I think actually, it may, I don't know, it may have been something else actually, but I read something where all these, all studies with, uh, involving, this is kind of a, beside the point a little bit, but all studies involving drugs where if you, to secure grant money or to secure the drugs like you're talking about from that, from that, uh, organization, your study has to be an effort to show the negative effects of the, of said drug. It can't be, and if you have any sort of positive um, hypothesis or theory, it has to be, what's it called when something is not what you thought was going to happen? It's like a secondary result or something like that? Uh, yeah, the, the null hypothesis. Yeah, that, that, if you, let's, say, let's say you are trying to show that um, opium is not, I don't know, something, the, the, the positive effects of opiate on the brain for whatever, maybe depression or just, just let's just say that. You can't. You can't get uh, funding or any type of um, uh, any type of the drug legally from that organization if you're doing that because they only will give it to you if you're trying to show a negative uh, effect of the drug. Yeah, well, I mean, there there there's definitely some truth to that in, mm -hmm. in that these organizations. So, for example, NIDA, it's it's funded with taxpayer money with, with the purpose of being able to combat. Um, the effects of addictive drugs right. uh, that they have, the, the, the negative effects that they have on society. So, right. in some regard, if you're applying to that agency for money, your goal is ultimately uh, going to be dictated on what their priorities are. Right. And so, you you would, you know, th there are other organizations that you might be apply be able to apply to that that would give you money to to study perhaps the, the positive effects of mm -hmm. something, uh, you know, with a very loaded politically charged question. But in this instance, um, you know, you really have to do what the funding agency wants because they'll say we're currently, you know, these are some of the broad goals that our organization is looking to fund right now. Um, we feel these are important issues for the public. 
and uh, for the future of uh, medicine. Right. So if you were to get money and find out the converse, they, they certainly wouldn't, um, you know, penalize you in any mm-hmm. way. Um, they aren't uh, basically the, looking for results. Right. But well, in a way, aren't some of those organizations, they're, they're sort of shopping for the result that they want to push their particular yeah. agenda? That can certainly happen. Do you feel like you know that going in all the time? Is this something you're very aware of? Like when you're applying for grants or when you're doing experiments? I guess both. Um, so I can only really speak to doing experiments. Right. Um, and I, I think that you certainly are biased with what you think you'll see. Mm-hmm. And usually that's, um, it's not based on, I guess, you know, public perceptions of a certain problem. Right. Um, it, it's more based on all of the literature that you read and, and a technique that, let's say, like animals taking cocaine. If you have a very specific dose that they're taking, you would expect that they'll take it at a certain level because every other lab that does this the same way, it's going to take that much cocaine. Right. Um, so, for example, when we were doing our obesity work, we expected that when we gave these animals all of this food that they were going to get fat, and indeed they did. Um, the ones that had full access to it. But we had a second group that, which really surprised us, um, where basically animals developed binge eating behavior because we gave them only one hour access to this diet per day. Mm-hmm. So they would consume two thirds of their diet in an hour, um, but they didn't become obese, which, you know, the, the common uh, idea, which has, there's really not much of this in the medical or scientific literature, uh, on basically defining what binge eating is, but mm-hmm. most people assume that, that that's sort of the driver of obesity, and that's one of the most important aspects of obesity. But you and you um, proved that so, wrong. Well, using our model, it, it looked like that was absolutely not the case, and okay. that's not to say that if we if we'd given them full access, certainly they would have become obese, and they might have demonstrated uh, different subsequent behavior when it comes right. to the food, but. That's sort of an example where we we really expected them to overeat. We expected them to become obese, um, especially because they were binge eating. But that wasn't the result. And so I I guess our view in in our lab is that the data is the data, you know, Mm -hmm. and you report that. And sometimes that's more exciting, you know. Um, Sometimes it's most of the time your results are disappointing because most experiments don't work. But in certain instances like this, it, it sort of questions, you know, commonly held beliefs that, yeah. that people have really never taken the time to actually examine in great detail. Do you th- what do you think is the common, uh, what do you think the, the most commonly held beliefs are about addiction that, that are untrue that you, you find out so far? I would say that the most important that, that I could think of, well, maybe there are two. So the first one would be that um, there's this difference between uh, psychological and physical addiction. Right. Something can be one or the other. And while I I understand people's use of those terms, that some drugs like heroin can result in the manifestation of physical withdrawal symptoms when people Mm -hmm. don't have the drug, Um, but it's, it's really the physical aspects to drug withdrawal are are very unimportant. Well, it's not that they're unimportant. They're very serious in, in, with certain compounds, but there are other drugs such as cocaine um, where you don't uh, experience physical 
symptoms of withdrawal or severe symptoms. Uh-huh. And so the point being uh, what people commonly refer to as psychological addiction is the most important part. So okay. thinking from the point of view of a neuroscientist, I, I, I would call that physical because we actually, you know, it's my, I guess. It's your brain. Um, well, yeah, your, exactly. It's part of your that's, body, and that's just as important. Yeah. It's like people people will scoff. Um, there's a comedian I know, and she talks about how she was addicted to marijuana, but she's very, very, she says like, I mean, people laugh at it, but it was not. It's, it was not funny. It sucked. It was horrible. I was completely, hopelessly addicted, and it had to do with a lot with her being really depressed and other things like that. And it kind of doesn't matter what she was addicted to. It's just the fact that she was addicted to something, and that became her like, it became the center of her world. And she and she needed it, and she didn't get it. She was a, uh, she was be complete emotional fallout, and she's desperate without it. So, it's like. To some extent, it doesn't matter what to what it is you're using, right? As long as it's just it's, the, it's more than more the nature of the addiction and not so much the nature of the drug you're addicted to. Absolutely, and you know, I, I think when you when you take huge numbers into account, that's when sort of the importance of these uh, individual cases sort of get get washed out, and people will you know scoff at that idea. You know, everybody knows you can't become addicted to to you know, pot. Um, but but there certainly are instances where it can happen to people and it, it happened with just about anything. I mean, there are, uh, if you look at, the, I guess this is the viewpoint of neurobiologists, which is you can take all of these um, compulsive disorders, we'll say, right. such as addiction, um, but also uh, OCD um, and uh, actually, certain behaviors um, in autism are uh, very obsessive. When you when you look at the the neural circuitry that's underlying these behaviors, it's they they're they're all they all, the all have that circuitry in common. And so, a lot of times when we're thinking about problems, we we try and think of how it will um, I guess help across the broad spectrum of behaviors that right. might not be classified the same, but you know. By uh, by society, by society. But and when you're looking at it, it's like this is all the same because the, when you look at the data and look at the brain, it it all it's part of the same mechanism. Absolutely. Yeah. Something you told me this was a while ago. This is uh, hanging out late night, probably on a on a Christmas time night, drinking some fine, yeah. high quality uh, craft brews, and maybe other th- cool. maybe imbibing and some other things. Um, you told me this thing, and maybe you can re- you can retell it, but um, uh, about how the nature of drug use and the situation, like as far as like where you are when you yeah. use a certain drug, can you tell me that little yeah. break that down. So, yeah, so everybody knows about uh, Pavlovian conditioning, which right. is um, you know Pavlov's dogs. He would um, he, he put these basically test tubes below the um, the the saliva glands in dogs' mouths, and he found that if he fed his dog, um, they would salivate, of course. But um, if he if he rang a bell for the dog, at first, you know, nothing would happen. It wouldn't produce saliva. But if you pair that uh, tone of the bell with the food a number of times, 
and then you take uh, the bell and ring it without the presence of the food, the animal will actually um, begin to salivate. Basically, the body comes to predict um, based on certain cues um, impending events. Uh-huh. And so this is actually very important, especially for, for heroin addiction. Um, but um, I think that w- what we were talking about was um, th- these interesting studies that were done in the, the 70s and 80s where um, you, you could basically take a group of two groups of rats, um, one group that um, basically received, a, they, they could take uh, morphine or heroin, mm-hmm. and that would be in a very specific environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so like certain cues their rat would home. be turned on. Exactly. Right. And so there, there are cues that they, you know, their brains were salivating for this heroin. They right. they knew that what, once they entered that environment, they were getting heroin. So their bodies were preparing for um, for the heroin. And you take a second set of animals, put them in a separate environment, different cues. Um, you know, clearly humans or animals would know that they're in a different environment. Right. If you if you allow them to develop. Um, tolerance to excuse me the opiates or morphine heroin and over time you know they can take more and more but if you take these animals and um you switch their environment so let's take that that group of animals that was in the first environment take them out of the rat home and you put them in the rat rat vacation environment exactly and if you give them a dose of heroin that it's questionable whether the animal would die or not. Um, so let's say it's, it's a dose where 50% of the animals would expect, be expected to die. Um, far more of those animals will die than the animals that had taken drug in that environment. So this has been repeated many times. And so the take-home message is that, um, you know, with drugs of abuse, as you were saying with your friend, it becomes the, the center of your world. Mm-hmm. And everything sort of all of the sensory information in in your life when you're an addict sort of tunes itself to the drug and it becomes right. significant in terms of the drug so they, they actually I, I i don't recall i haven't actually read the literature on this but there was a, a speaker who's a prominent expert on on heroin who indicated or who pointed out that uh, most heroin overdoses occur when the person is outside of their normal drug-taking environment. So there, there's clearly, um, from these cues, or from the sensory uh, input that you get from your normal environment, the body, the body comes to expect that you're going to get a, a boatload of a drug that's not normally made. Right. And so there's, there's likely to be these compensatory adaptive mechanisms that, that prepare the body for it and allow it to de- detoxify and this certainly results in the tolerance that that you see. So is that and is so that always is that always a thing that is uh, preparing like an it's basically like a an early warning for the body, or does any of it have to do with uh, a thing where let's say let's say you're a heroin user and you always sit in your chair in your living room and do heroin, and so if you when you do that every time you you get your kid out and start making it, your does your body also do any weird thing where there's like a 
not a placebo, but you know what I mean? It was something where it almost, uh, is, it, is it always a defense thing or is it sometimes go along with the actual drug? Like if you were to, like, like if you were to give someone, uh, I don't know, let's just replace heroin with alcohol, but you give someone non-alcoholic beer, like they would get a little bit of a yep. buzz because, they're, because their body's expecting it, so it's sort of like playing along. Absolutely, there. It's the anticipatory phase of it. You so know. it's both. So it's both things. So it's defense and anticipatory, yeah. like absolutely. Got yeah, it. the bodies come to anticipate it, and you know whether it's good or it's bad, that sort of dictates the emotional valence associated with it. Got so you it. Could, you, you could obviously, you know, uh, have a specific room where, um, you know. Yeah. You do your thing. Every time you're in that room, somebody punches you. <laughs> you obviously would want to stay away from that room. Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, cer so, certainly both. So another take-home message is, uh, uh, if when you get high on, on your weed, if you, you, if you always do it someplace new, you could, probably, you could probably save a lot of weed, and you get more high. I just sounded like I sounded like a fed the way I said that. was so, yeah, you're, when you got your weed, and when you're getting high on your weed... When you're smoking your drugs, yeah. is that that's why you get uh, more stone when you're out and about among a novel environment because you're because yeah you're, you're not, not used to it you're not anticipating it anticipation wow anticipation I remember one time this is but I used to be addicted to coffee uh, caffeine I guess you could say and I remember uh, this was the depth of my the the worst part of my addiction it was not like it was that bad really but I remember. Uh, have going like two days without having any. I was trying to not have any. This is a long time ago, and I got all those little, little, uh, little double espresso can of double a double, double shot of espresso in a can from the gas station, and drank it like the last half hour of my work at the record store. And uh, I remember like right away, like a second after I drank it, my headache went away and I felt better, which doesn't make any sense because that caffeine didn't process yet. Like it's yeah. like it can't. It's not instantaneous, but I felt better right away. And is that that's the same mechanism, right? Where it's like my body's like it knows what it's getting, so it's like it the uh, the uh, whatever it is that was making me feel like shit went away because it knew that the thing that makes me not feel like shit had had arrived. Absolutely, and it, it's interesting that you point that out because mm -hmm. that's it's it's that scenario that you just described with caffeine that right. you get a headache and the caffeine takes that away and, and this is you know somewhat common knowledge people know that you take drugs to when, when you're an addict to sort of alleviate the, the the negative aspect of drug withdrawal right so that's actually been demonstrated recently that um, people do drugs initially because it makes you feel good but but then over it's the time, opposite yeah. What, yeah, what drives compulsive drug taking is actually the the the, the anticipation of the individual. They're 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 expecting a drug, and they know that if they don't have it, uh, they're not going to feel good. And that's mm. really what drives um, sort of pretty perilous cycles of addiction with a variety of drugs. So this goes back to this uh, goes to a bigger question, and this is also something that was explained to me by you late in the deep Minnesota winter night, and that's the thing where um, how how come some people are addicts and some people are not? Like I can 
like I've I feel like I uh, can't get addicted to anything. Um, yeah. And like I I don't know what I know I don't know what it is, but I don't I've never had that problem where I felt like I've been a slave to something or I feel like I have to worry about being addicted. Like I'm able to really well to control what it is that I even if I do like it a lot. Like I can know I know like well shouldn't do this as much as I want to do it or whatever. And there's also there's yeah. a lot of people like me, maybe who are, have a different thing think about it. <laughs> different, they got a different think about it. Um, so, so what is it in the brain that separates me from or someone like me who's not who's not uh, not an addict, or at least thinks <laughs> I think I'm not an addict, um, from someone who is an addict? And that's this is the thing that this is the thing where um, I remember you say you you preparing us for the uh this knowledge because you said it's it's kind of shocking when you think about it because it goes down to uh boils down to the uh, essence of human nature and what it is to be alive and uh you know what i'm gonna do right now i'm gonna take a quick break you're listening to twisting the wind with johnny pemberton on the feral audio network yeah who's there what the hell is going on here? Who's there? What? What are you talking about, man? Didn't you hear that super loud, scary sound that just interrupted the radio? Oh, uh, yeah, it did. It's actually going to keep happening until people donate. Uh, you mean there's going to be scary fart sounds playing all the time until people donate to Feral Audio? Goddamn right that's going to keep happening. You hear it? Yeah. Okay, uh, please, please donate. This is not a sustainable situation, audio-wise. This is uh, pretty bad right now. Uh, just, I'm I'm very scared. I'm just genuinely very frightened right now. Please donate. PayPal. Uh, God, credit cards are fine. I think it's all fine. You can even. It's just it's not gonna stop, is it? No way, man. Okay. Radio explosions. Okay, I may be able to try to play some music over this. Uh, feral audio. If you would, Paul, would you explain that thing? The 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 uh, the fundamental difference between people and why some are addicts and some are not. Using, well, that's, that, that's, using that beautiful, was it, I think it was amoeba or single, something like that. Some very, very yeah, single I, I cell think I, I think I remember the, most of this conversation. Oh, I think you do. I'll okay. <laughs> I'll see if I can connect the two. Okay. Um, so that, that first, the, the first aspect of this is actually really important. So most people that, that try a drug don't go, go on to become an addict, mm-hmm. right? It's only a smaller, I think it's around 20% of somebody who tries cocaine will go on to experience uh, the hallmark features of addiction. That's, that's a pretty big and number, I've got to say. I it just, is. Yeah. That is absolutely, it, it's very large. Um, but that's, that's also sort of, uh, I think, surprising when you consider, um, I guess, how addictive these substances are, that, mm-hmm. that some people can use them and then just, probably in most instances, they never use them again. But there is a population of people who are considered weekend users, you know, where they'll go do coke on the weekends. Um, But when it comes, when Monday morning comes, they're just, they're back to, you know, their regular life. Yeah. And so they 
those types of individuals tend to experience more, um, they tend to come from, um, I guess, more enriched environments where uh, they have access to a variety of activities and in essence, they're, 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 they're shown basically how to, how to enjoy life in many different ways. Okay. And, and individuals who come from relatively, um, I guess you would say, depleted environments or an unenriched environment. You're um, so well-spoken, Paul. The way you say these things is so, so like, uh, descriptive and also apolitical. It's amazing. <laughs> Maybe I've trained myself to be apolitical over it's time. It's great. It, it, it totally <laughs> makes sense. It totally makes sense. And it's also just, yeah, it's, I, I like it. I enjoy it. But go on. Sorry. Well, thank you. <laughs> so somebody who might come from a, uh, a poor family where they don't have um, the money to do different extracurricular activities. So they now don't you have just got political. Toys. Now you just got political. Now I got political <laughs> right after you said it was apolitical. Right. Uh, oftentimes, these people have a greater propensity for addiction. Uh-huh. And so um, one of the things that I've studied um, as part of my thesis, and it's uh, been well known for some time, is that there are certain genetic predisposing factors. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier, you had alluded to the dopamine system. Right. Right. And so that's, that's one of the sort of universal features of drugs of abuse is that they act to, to elevate levels of this neurotransmitter uh, dopamine in an area of the brain called uh, the ventral striatum. Oh, it's such a cool word. Or the, the nucleus accumbens. Ooh, even better. <laughs> And so, in order for the cells in this area, the nucleus accumbens, to respond to dopamine, they need something that that sits on the cell to be able to detect dopamine. So these are called dopamine receptors. And there's a a couple different types of them. Um, There are ones that will stimulate the the cell that's receiving the dopamine and um, modulate, I guess, the the ongoing neurotransmission further exciting the cells. Mm-hmm. And then there's a second set um, of cells that, that make a different type of dopamine receptor that inhibit cells. And these two different types of cells stimulate locomotor activity and inhibit it. So if you turn on one of these, the, the stimulatory cells, they'll cause an animal to, to go crazy. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll increase their, the amount that they're moving around. Um, and the opposite is true of the the other kind of cell. So the, the, this uh, pathway that inhibits movement, um, the, the receptor is called the D2 receptor, and there are a couple other types of receptors called D2-like dopamine receptors that are also important. But the, this particular form of the dopamine receptor, D2, has actually been linked um, using... What, what's called uh, genome-wide association studies. So basically what they'll do is they'll, they'll take a question. So in this case, let's say um, we want to understand if there's some genetic difference between individuals who are obese or not obese or addicted to heroin, not addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. And what they, they found is that there are these um, slight variations in the gene for this dopamine receptor, the dopamine D2 receptor, which cause less of it to be made 
in certain populations of individuals. And these are these people that have this form of the gene are vastly overrepresented in populations of people who are amphetamine addicts, obese individuals, heroin addicts, cocaine addicts, nicotine users. So they have less D2 receptors? Yes. Which means the D2 receptor is the one that slows things down, right? That inhibits? Exactly. Okay. Tells them to Tells Tells them them to to stop. Okay. Exactly. Got it. So that makes perfect sense. If they have less D2, they're less... They're not, they're not curbing their uh, their destructive behavior or whatever it, whatever it may be. Yes, that's probably the most important aspect of it. Okay. Is that you know that there have to be systems that tell you to go or to not go. Right. And if the no go portion of that is out of the question, you're more likely to continue an ongoing behavior. Right. And I think relating this to to what we were talking about, um, as far as relating it to a single-celled organism, is is the importance of locomotion or Mm -hmm. movement. And And fate. (laughs) And and fate. I mean, there there are multiple views of of the world around you, whether it's a deterministic or, uh, or whether your actions are stochastic. Wait, what is that uh, word, stochastic? Sort of uh, wow. random perturbations Stochastic. of a system. Stochastic. That's new to me. Okay, random. Whereas the deterministic, it means that everything is is defined by a, a set of parameters. Got it. There's no budging from it. So, uh, so continue. Single cell organism. Okay. Yeah. So the 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 importance of relating the single cell organism to what I was just talking about is is what what dopamine actually does. So it's often thought of as a pleasure uh, mm-hmm. transmitter, which uh, that's sort of a very contentious issue within our field, but I would say that it it actually um, has nothing to do with reward, but has to do more with, um, I guess, it's sort of like a, a volume switch on a stereo. So right. reward is sound, um, dopamine is the thing that can turn this up or turn it down, and influence subsequent behaviors. But okay. overall, what it does is it it makes an, an individual motivated to do something. Got it. And so if you if you, if you actually remove um, dopamine by re, by knocking out or removing the gene that synthesizes it uh-huh. within the cells that normally release dopamine in in the nucleus accumbens, uh, the animals. Um, if, if you don't replace that dopamine um, by giving them what's called L-DOPA, it's a drug that's given to Parkinson's patients, uh-huh. um, which replenishes dopamine, they'll basically sit there until they die. So, so they will, can, they, will they breathe? They'll breathe. Okay. But they, they essentially have no motivation. For anything. They can move. Yeah. So you can, you can sort of nudge them, and they'll, they'll do, you know, short, uh, very brief movements. Mm-hmm. And if you put sort of like a syringe of water up to their mouth, they'll drink. But if you put food on the other side of the cage when you know they're hungry or water, they they won't move towards it. Mm-hmm. So in essence, these are animals that just have no perception of time or no care, no motivation to do anything. Right. And if you replace it, they all of a sudden, if they're hungry, they'll go eat right away and they'll they'll drink water right away and they'll move all around. 
Um, so dopamine is a way. Is that it's the it's it's the life chemical. It's the uh, yeah. It's actually there. There are a lot of people that have speculated that that this this transmitter acts within a a system, a very complicated system, uh, that to, to sort of influence um, sort of the core personality traits of humans that have allowed us to come so far. Right. It, it, it's it's important for us to not only for movement but for motivation for action right. selection um, and so the idea in relating this to a single-celled organism is if you look at um, the purpose of, of you know any organism it, it has to be dictated by biology and, and chemistry mm-hmm. uh, and so if if this um, transmitter, which influences both our motivations um, as well as our ability to move or initiate movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's possible that this could be conserved on you know across species, and that this could be a really core principle. So, I think the idea that I was sort of suggesting is if you take a you know what what is the motivation of of a single celled organism? What tells them what to do? Right. And so you can you can take for example uh bacteria and put them in a in a petri dish and let's say you normally you can grow them in in conditions where they're happy where they'll move and they'll divide and reproduce and all of their needs are satisfied. But if you deplete that environment by or if you deplete uh certain nutrients from from their environment by transferring to them a dish them to a dish that doesn't have it, mm-hmm. um, leave them for, excuse me, leave them for a while, and then put just a tiny amount of of that nutrient. Let's say it's uh, lactose or glucose. Mm-hmm. They'll quickly move towards that, um, and so this is this is a process known as chemotaxis. But there okay. there are other forms of behavior like phototaxis, where single celled organisms will move towards light. Um, but in essence, it's a very small molecule that's um, serving as a sensory stimulus so that mm-hmm. the cell knows that it needs this, and it has receptors on the outside of the cell that, that as soon as it senses it, it's, it's, um, its awareness, its, its sensory systems are heightened to detect this because it knows that it needs it, mm-hmm. and it will move and move um, until it finds the source of it, at which point it'll stop. So it has both, like humans, a a go and a no go component to it, which is imperative for guiding its actions. Got it. And so, um, you know, I guess if if you if you wanted to consider sort of a a more global interpretation of this, it it, it might be that um, you know if if you want to consider human consciousness. Right. I think we sort of ventured onto that. Right. Um, So this idea is sort of tied to the notion that you need to be able to, um, that that it arises not as a, in a single area of the brain, but as a general process of bringing in sensory information and wanting to act on that to, to fulfill something. And so, in in that regard, you would consider a single-celled organism conscious. 
they respond to sensory information, they integrate it, and they act on it. Right. They so are. That, that might be a simpler way of understanding how a brain, something so complicated, um, can result in you know thoughts, feelings, whatever it might be. In essence, it's the same principle. You're taking in sensory information, relating that to your current state and your future expectations, and acting on it. Mm-hmm. And so is the bacteria. Exactly. It's and so, sort of a universal principle. And the, and so and then you that goes so that goes then is the, um, this bacteria. You explained it how the environment. You were saying something about how the environment the bacteria is in. If if it uh, I can't. I don't think I can remember this correctly. But something about how it will. Um, it basically has no choice in Absolutely. what it's what it's doing because it's exactly. it's reacting. Simply to what it to the things that it um that it, reacting to this to the uh, the stimulus or the to the thing that it needs and it goes toward that regardless of anything. You were saying something about how let's say you put a hostile environment along with this along with this. What was it? Was it something like uh, alcohol or some type of a chemical? Yep. Yeah. Maybe you can you can probably explain it better than I can. Obviously. No, that that's exactly right. So. It, on the, the level of the single-celled organism, mm-hmm. it's, it's detecting nutrients through uh, proteins, right? And, right? and that acts to signal to the cell what to do next. It's mm-hmm. saying to the cell, uh, we just encountered this. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then there's a series of other biochemical events that occur within the cell. Um, that's, all of this is, these are simply thermodynamic events um, that signal uh, globally that we don't have this and the cell realizes um, this is a very unscientific way of of putting it but the cell in essence through various signal transduction and enzymatic pathways it's able to realize that it needs this and it directs its its focus so as you said it has no choice Mm -hmm. Um, it's simply a thermodynamic event and um, you can actually it, so the 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 bacteria has to balance its incentives. Um, if it's in an environment where this nutrient is plentiful all the time, it's not going to move. But right. when it's in a hostile environment where it has no nutrient, it will actually move, expend energy to go uh, be able to meet its its uh, I guess nutritional requirements to survive. Mm-hmm. So in the case of, of uh, more complicated organisms like uh, mammals, um, you can actually take a... Um, this, this is actually, when, when I say that uh, an individual uses compulsively, um, th- this is one of the ways that we test that. So the idea behind something being compulsive isn't simply that you like something or that you're, you're drawn to do something. It's that you're, you continue to repeat a behavior in spite of the fact that you know that it's going to result in a negative outcome. So basically, um, as succinctly as you can, basically uh, hit me, hit, hit me with the uh, what's the? <laughs> I'm trying to say this, you know, the um, the knowledge that you cannot unknow that is that can be depressing to some people when they know it. That's what you're talking about here, about how behavior is not what we think it to be as humans, like as far as free will and uh, 
and uh, our ability to um, I guess I guess freedom of choice yeah so what, so, yeah, so, yeah, so what is the what is the grand statement there well I, I think it sort of draws into question uh, whether that whether you have it or not you know um, if you know, most people don't think about <laughs> their world as a neurobiologist does. It's uh-huh. a good way of putting this. We you think... know, we think we think we understand our our thoughts, our feelings, our uh-huh. emotions as something that's very objective. Right. But um, in reality, um, this is the you know the central philosophy that made me interested in neuroscience. It 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 boils down to physical systems, mm-hmm. right? And so. Um, I guess the question of choice with with a human being is is no different than choice with any other organism, right? Right. It boils down to thermodynamic processes um, that um, you know. There's there's question as to whether you know. There's if, a there's a way certain things just work, and so there's a reason. Some if you if you lose your keys. The first time you have keys, you're probably going to keep losing your keys. Yeah. Just because people are creatures, it's not so much creatures of habit as they are, their brains just react, they have a, you don't change as much as you think you do or have the ability to change yourself as much as you think you do. Because your yeah. brain, your brain to some extent is just a, uh, it's a long chain of, of uh, reactions that can be boiled down to as simple as that bacteria you described, whether going into going going left or going right, and so it's this thing where, to some extent, humans are constantly repeating themselves because that otherwise, if we didn't have this type of way of uh, if we hadn't evolved with these these ways to uh, repeat behavior that that keeps us alive, then we probably wouldn't be alive. So it's this weird. It's kind of it's kind of uh, the essence of life, and but also the reasons we don't we don't have as much choice as we think we do. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Right, and that which and, goes back to addiction because addiction is addiction is well, you're addicted. You can't help yourself, and and so basically what you're saying is that uh, the idea the ideas that govern addiction and the things that you use to describe addiction don't just exist in terms of a person's person using drugs or over overeating or doing something bad for themselves. It exists in their entire life and every decision that they make. Absolutely, yeah. And that, if you, if you think about that, it's kind of weird because it's basically saying that everything we do as people is just a reaction. It's just sort of like a an incredibly, incredibly complicated uh, um, system that is working itself out in like a like a like a pinball game or something. It's just I've, everything's an action and a reaction on like a, an incredibly globally hyper complex level. That, I think that's a great way of sort of summarizing it. And uh, again, I wouldn't say one way or the other whether uh, you know I, I I don't think humans have choice or I think they have choice. I think that's a question that's probably best left to the physicists. Right. Um, but it, it certainly is something interesting to ponder, which is, I assume, uh, why we were discussing it. 
Right. You know, yeah, late night, snowing, had us some drinks. Your yeah. brain is in a different place, and you decided to give us the uh, the the blue pill, or was it the red pill? I don't know, <laughs> from the Matrix. <laughs> well, good luck with your uh, with your research, Paul. And uh, thanks well, thank for thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me on, and best of luck to you. Uh, I oh. love the podcast. Great. And everything else you do. Keep promoting it. So. Play it. Play it for your uh, lab mates and your other maybe anything animals might enjoy it. I guess. They are certainly excited to hear it. I'll definitely play <laughs> okay. it all often. Take Get care. Get listening to the podcast. Best you wishes. Bye bye. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for choosing. Para información en español, oprima ocho. To schedule a repair appointment or for questions about an existing appointment, press one. For concerns regarding your recent repair experience, press two. Para información en español, oprima ocho. To schedule a repair appointment or for questions about an Para información en español, Thank you for choosing. Before I connect you with a live agent, I'd like to invite you to participate in a survey after your call today. We value your opinion and also know your time is valuable, so we'll keep the question short. If you're interested, press 1 now and we'll automatically route your call to the survey after you've spoken with our agent. Otherwise, please hold while I connect your call to the next available agent. Thanks. Get up. Hello. Hello. Well, what was your name again? Oh, my name is uh, Jazz. Jay Jazz, how are you? I'm doing a uh, great thing for asking, sir. Thanks for asking me to. Do you guys have lawnmowers? Yes, sir. Look, here's the deal, okay? I'm going to be honest with you right now. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Is it okay if I'm honest with you? Is it okay if I'm honest with you? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm going to be honest right now, okay? I'm going to be real honest right now, okay? I'm going to be real honest with you. Look, okay? Jez? Yes, sir. Is it okay if I'm honest with you, Jez? Yes, sir. Okay. Look, okay, look. Right now... I'm just wearing a t-shirt and some boxers, which is okay. Okay? But I gotta sew up this podcast. I gotta finish it. You understand? It's already gone too long, and I'm just gonna make this a quick one. Is that okay? Yes, sir. What do you think about life? I'm sorry? What's your favorite music? Country music, sir. Say, say that again. <coughs> country music, sir. Condra? What's that? Country. Country. Oh, who's your favorite country artist? Um, Keith Urban. You're kidding me. Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Keith Urban. What's with Keith Urban? Why do you like him so much? Um, I like the uh, the, uh, the uh, kind of music he, uh, he plays, the lyrics of the uh, song he plays. <clears throat> Doesn't he talk a lot about America? I'm sorry? Doesn't he talk a lot about America? Like, America, 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 boo-doo. 
America did. We killed those people. Right? <laughs> Doesn't he say that? I've, I've, no, I've, I've never actually heard that song from... Okay, have you heard this song before? Keith Urban, Making Memories of Us. Do you know that one? Yes, sir. Shack my noon like a crackhead in the night. He tried to steal my baby. My baby. She's a white woman. She's a white woman. She's a white woman. She's a white woman. She's my 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 white woman. Recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.